game over for adult sports. We need to step back from those, take that temptation, unfortunately, away. Why kids can still compete despite COVID restrictions everywhere else. Translink data held hostage. The cybercrime complete with ransom note that paralyzed parts of the transit system. And the Commodore Ballroom celebrates a milestone. It's always been a room, I think, that likes to rock. The spectacular history of Vancouver's landmark music venue. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We have several new developments on COVID-19 in BC tonight, including questions about shortening the quarantine time here, following a recommendation in the U.S. to cut the time in half. We'll have more on that in just a moment, but first a look at the latest numbers. We have 694 new cases, bringing the total in our province to 35,422. Sadly, we've had 12 more deaths. That means we've now lost 481 people to the virus. 325 people are in hospital. 80 of those patients are in the ICU. 24,928 are considered recovered, leaving us with 9,103 active cases and 10,849 people in self-isolation. We'll bring in Keith Baldry again now. Keith, U.S.-based Centers for Disease Control and Prevention just announced it shortening the recommended length of mm -hmm. quarantine from 14 days to 10. What are the chances we'll see the same thing here? Well, surprisingly, there is a chance of this, Chris. So what the Center for Disease Control has done in the States is, you know, right now it's 14 days quarantine in Canada. It had been 14 days in the States. But now in the States, if you can uh, show a negative test on day seven or go to 10, day 10 with showing no symptoms, you could shorten that uh, quarantine by that amount. We put that question to Dr. Bonnie Henry today, and she says this is actually being discussed at the national level. There is a case to be made, um, particularly for you know, 10 days. The, the chances of somebody, depending on where, what the type of exposure is that they had, so somebody traveling from a country with uh, uh, COVID, so somebody coming in from uh, potentially from the U.S., um, there's very few people that show symptoms between day 10 and day 14 who have not shown symptoms prior to that. We're having discussions nationally. Uh, I think it is a, a way to try and... Um, make things flow more smoothly once once we start to travel again. So the next time we're going to hear from Dr. Bonnie Henry is on Monday, of course. That's a pivotal day because that is the day the current public health order restricting gatherings and events expires. There's widespread expectation Monday that order will be extended for another two weeks. I'd be very surprised if it doesn't because we've been averaging a little more than 700 cases for the last five days. She likes to look at five-day rolling averages. Just don't see that number really plunging much below that uh, before Monday. But that's at Monday at 3 o'clock. Not enough of a dip yet. All oh. right. Thanks very much, Keith. Now, no shortage of reaction tonight to the province's surprise announcement on Wednesday afternoon to ban all adult amateur team sports, both indoor and outdoor, and put renewed restrictions on youth team sports. As Richard Zussman reports tonight, once again, there was also no shortage of confusion. Masks on, brooms in hand, dozens of curlers arriving at the Victoria Curling Club set to curl. I think we've been very fortunate to have curling as an active sport for this long. As our sport is, 
you know, very self-disciplined and, and we think we're doing the right thing. What they didn't realize is they were breaking the rules. Dr. Bonnie Henry putting down the broom and hurrying hard to ban all team sports for anyone 19 years of age and older. That includes indoor and outdoor games from hockey to bowling to rugby. Some organizations, Curl BC included, originally thought they were spared. I think yesterday when we saw a list of sports, we thought it was a comprehensive list and it was only a, a partial list. So that caused a little confusion. I just ask people to bear with me and to um, understand the intent of the orders. But Dr. Henry says it's less about what happens on the ice or field and more about what's happening off it. It's the locker room, it's the before, it's the after, it's the going for a, a coffee or a beer after a game that has been um, the most uh, source of transmission. As for parents in the stands, that's banned, along with the fact that games are no longer allowed for kids as well. But kids are allowed to practice and improve their technical skills. Young people have really uh, taken the brunt of some of these changes, and I know that is hard. But I also know that you guys are adaptable. While games for kids have been benched, youth dance classes are now back on. A relief for businesses who have been on a yo-yo ride from open to close to open again. Today was the best day ever. We get to have our students back in class. As for how long these restrictions may be in place, Dr. Henry alluding to them being here for weeks. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Fraser Health is ramping up its testing for the COVID-19 virus in the region. A new test collection center will open on Tuesday at the TransLink South Surrey Park and Ride. The new site will be able to process between five and 700 tests per day when it's operating at full capacity, and it'll offer drive-in testing seven days a week. Once the center is open, you'll be able to book, on, book an appointment online, or you can drop in for a test. Health Canada is now expected to approve Pfizer's coronavirus vaccine within the next 10 days. And the first doses of the vaccine should be available here in early January. In the meantime, the federal government, the provinces and the Canadian Armed Forces are all ramping up the vaccine rollout program, Operation Vector. Aaron MacArthur reports. Also indicated. There are still questions. Still no approved vaccine candidate and no one willing to give an exact date. Health Canada will only say the approval is close, perhaps within the next seven to ten days. Part of that information is really around the manufacturing process and which specific lots may be destined for Canada. The opposition has been critical of the lack of details in the rollout plan, but according to health officials, it's well underway. The Canadian military has been brought in to help deal with logistics. A dry run of the system planned for Monday by December 14th the cold freezers will be plugged in and ready to begin to receive the first of six million doses. These things are being looked at very closely. We're in constant uh, discussion, like daily, with Pfizer. The challenges are enormous. Pfizer, likely the first vaccine approved, its vials need to be shipped at temperatures below minus 70 degrees Celsius. Once Pfizer signs off on Canada's plan, it will begin shipping doses directly to 14 predetermined sites across the country, where it will be up to the provinces to determine who is at the front of the line. Our first priority will be to make sure that we're protecting those who are most at risk. We know that is our seniors and elders. The Moderna vaccine will come later. It's slightly more stable. 
it will arrive at a central distribution hub and then the Canadian government will send it out to the rest of the country. A shipping company will be awarded that contract by December 15th. I kind of like the idea of uh, being ready before the Christmas uh, time frame so that we're certain to be ready when it comes in January. As Pfizer ramps up delivery of its vaccine, the direct shipment locations in Canada will increase to 205 sites. If it all works, 3 million Canadians could have immunity to COVID-19 by April. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. As Canada edges ever closer to beginning the vaccination process, British Columbians are divided on whether COVID-19 immunizations should be mandatory. John Hua has more on how if people want to return to a normal life, they might not have a choice. A dull mechanical drone. More like the sweet sound of a possible solution that many Canadians hope will put an end to this pandemic. Do you consent? No. But there will be some who will no doubt make some noise about not wanting a COVID-19 vaccine. We had this discussion, I think, um, uh, one year and uh, seven or eight months ago about this question around measles immunization. British Columbia didn't do it for the measles. So what are the chances the province will adopt a mandatory COVID-19 vaccination program? We have no mandatory immunization programs in this country and in this province. And we do not expect um, that COVID immunization will be mandatory. Experts in bioethics say forcing a vaccination onto people might be going too far. No, no one in this country is really talking about mandatory, and I think that is absolutely the right way to go. Well, an Ipsos poll last month showed 59% of Canadians thought the vaccine should be mandatory. That was a 13% drop since May. 71% were nervous about a vaccine created so quickly. If a person truly, truly is fearful of it or does not want it or believes something else, you can't force it. With Qantas Airlines the first to say it will deny international boarding without proof of vaccination, there could be other ways for the program to take off. It would not surprise me if that becomes sports events, if that becomes bars and restaurants. So while the consensus is that mandatory vaccinations won't set the right tone... Continuing to miss out on the things lost because of COVID-19 just might. John Hua, Global News. The Union Gospel Mission in downtown Vancouver is expanding its emergency homeless shelter to help with the growing need during the pandemic. The organization says it will be opening up an additional 22 emergency shelter spaces by next weekend for a total of 98. They say the holiday season and colder temperatures can be a dangerous, isolating and stressful time for those who have nowhere to go. And they've seen a higher than usual demand for their services this year. And we're also seeing far more people come to us for a safe, uh, warm place to stay at night, seeking refuge, um, far more than previous years. Since the pandemic, we've seen, unfortunately, uh, a big increase in the number of turnaways that we've had primarily due to lack of space. So we're increasing and expanding our emergency shelter. The Union Gospel Mission says it will also be increasing its Christmas hamper deliveries for families in need and its Christmas carts program for seniors and single family members. All right, a homicide investigators are frantically searching for clues after a mysterious murder in Surrey. RCMP were responding to a single vehicle car crash when they discovered the female driver had been shot. 
And as Nadia Stewart reports, a second vehicle could provide crucial evidence. It was the startling sound of gunshots that got neighbors' attention Thursday morning. It was like three shots, uh, one after one, and then somebody screamed, and then somebody rushed into the car. Two loud noise and I thought maybe the pallets fell because I live behind the superstore. The integrated homicide investigations team is now dealing with Metro Vancouver's latest fatal shooting. Surrey RCMP were initially called to the area of 137th Street and 75A Avenue at around 5.30 this morning for reports of a single vehicle crash. They arrived to find a woman believed to be in her 30s suffering from a gunshot wound. She died on scene. Now, I think the question on everyone's mind this morning is, was this random? <clears throat> and the early indications are that it does not appear to be random, just from what we've seen in the scene. Police know who the woman is, but are not yet releasing her identity. They are also examining whether a burnt-out vehicle discovered Thursday morning in Abbotsford has any connection to this homicide. A burnt car investigation in itself isn't necessarily suspicious. But when it's closely followed by a shooting or a homicide, obviously, you know, it's something that piques our interest. Two people are running away with yeah. cities of San In Langley. This latest incident comes amidst an apparent spike in shootings, followed by burned out vehicles dumped as the accused ditch the scene and discard evidence. This gang expert attributes the recent violence to young gangsters settling scores. I've been retired for almost two years now, and I still have informants calling me saying, Doug, you can't believe what it's like out here. It's a shooting gallery. These guys are shooting one another for no reason. For now, police are appealing for witnesses, especially if someone in the area saw a vehicle leave the scene in Surrey this morning, and if they have any dash cam or surveillance footage. Nadia Stork, Global News. Breaking details now of a possible resolution to the case involving Huawei Chief Financial Officer Meng Wanzhou. Meng was arrested at Vancouver Airport in 2018 on charges of fraud in the United States and has been fighting extradition there ever since. The 48-year-old denies the allegations, but now there are unconfirmed reports that the U.S. Justice Department is negotiating a deal with Meng that would allow her to return to China if she admitted wrongdoing. There's no indication yet how or if the deal would impact Canadians, Michael Kovrig and Michael Spaver, who were arrested in China nine days after Meng's arrest in what critics say was retaliation. And we have breaking developments tonight around that security breach at TransLink that has been causing major issues across the system. Tonight, we can confirm the company is the victim of a ransomware attack. Jordan Armstrong joins us live with more on this. The details, Jordan, are hard to believe. It's a very, very much like a, a movie almost. It really is, Sophie. This is a bizarre story. There's a ransom note, and TransLink is potentially the first Canadian victim of this type of ransomware attack. And sources tell me it's believed to have started with a phishing email. Someone clicked the link 
in a phishing email and opened the door to the attack. At least that's what the investigation suggests so far. So what are the demands? Here is the ransom letter that's been coming off the printers in TransLink offices, and it states, quote, your network was attacked, your computers and servers were locked, your private data was downloaded. If you do not contact us within three days, we will begin data publication. The dollar figure isn't spelled out, but it's presumably in the millions. A cybersecurity expert says this appears to be a new type of ransomware known as eGregor. It emerged in September and has already claimed 70 or so victims, mostly in the U.S., with the biggest ransom demand so far being in the $4 million range. If this is eGregor, as it looks like, what's being described by other security professionals is a very sophisticated operation. The malware is very difficult to analyze, and if it has uh, sunk its teeth in various aspects of the network, it could be a real pain for them to clean it up. Now, he says almost half of the victims so far have paid some form of ransom, but we've learned at this point TransLink does not intend to pay. As for whether the sensitive personal information of TransLink customers and employees might have been accessed, TransLink CEO Kevin Desmond spoke to the TransLink Mayor's Council this morning, and he could offer no guarantees. We're also conducting a comprehensive forensic investigation to determine any potential impacts to data. That said, it's important to note that we generally do not have access to customer payment information, which is processed by secure third-party payment processors. Now, a bit of good news for TransLink customers. We've got a bit of a disruption here, so I think we're going to throw it back to the studio. Sophie, back to you. All right. Thanks for that, Jordan. Jordan Armstrong reporting in Vancouver. And uh, stay safe, Jordan. Pretty sure what he was going to say is you can now use your uh, credit cards at the vending machines there. So that is a a piece of good news and uh, commuters will be happy. All right, a couple about to be kicked off their own property. They bought it with a plan to build their dream home. But after some twists and turns, the township is evicting them. How it all went sideways and why they say it's unfair in just over a minute. B.C. grandparents fighting for custody of their grandchildren after their daughter's mysterious murder in Peru. The stunning new developments in the case coming up. And what could be the cure for potentially deadly peanut allergies? A new study from UBC gives children and their parents the first real hope. That's later. Right now, though, a couple in Selmo says the village has cancelled their building permits and ordered them off their own property. That's because apparently they are not building their home fast enough. But the village's mayor says there's much more to the story. Ted Chernecki reports. Can you be evicted off of your own land? The municipality of Salmo believes you can. A couple's been living on 17 acres of land, clearing it to build a home. So we are now six months into this, into our permits, and they've cancelled our, our building permit and our camping permit, which allows us to camp on our property while we build. Well, technically he's not the owner. His dad in 100 Mile House is. And this dispute's been going on for two years. There's regulations that everybody has to follow, and our office has gone above and beyond trying to help to get them compliant. Because they've built things without building permits, and we know we're not allowed to do that in our province. 
Uh, they said, they said, story to be sure. We will do anything we can do to comply, to continue this, but it's just, just no, 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 no. One issue is water. Before building starts, Salma wants to know how the couple plan to get it for a septic field. And then there's the issue of time. Salmo saying construction needs to start within a reasonable time after a building permit is issued. Reasonable being six months in this case. During those six months, we've been clearing our building site. We've been pulling out trees. We've got a sawmill behind us here, and we've been milling up the wood for our house. Into We've been making the trees into timbers. All of this, the village says, is not construction. Salmo says the couple can still go up there and clear the building site. They just can't live there in their RV, not until they're compliant with municipal bylaws. Ted Chernacki, Global News. Up next, a good Samaritan stopping Bitcoin scammers. I literally went there and told him, just put it on hold. How BC shopkeepers are stepping in to help unwitting victims. And later, the cat rescued from what would have been an early grave. Final clearing stages of a truck in the ditch here in Langley, eastbound on Highway 1 after Glover Road. Traffic is still down to a single lane and backed up into Surrey. Sussex Insurance has auto plan offices inside Walmarts and Real Canadian Superstores throughout BC. For hours and locations, visit sussexinsurance.com. Open every day. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above a rollover vehicle on Highway 1 in Langley. Delta police are issuing a warning about a sophisticated scam that tricks unwitting victims into making huge deposits at Bitcoin ATM machines. Now some local businesses are taking a proactive role in preventing this type of cryptocurrency fraud. And with more, we bring in our Consumer Matters reporter, Andrea. And Thanks, Chris. The Bitcoin scam is targeting Canadians right across the country, and it's on the rise. Delta police say fraudsters are targeting seniors and new Canadians. Tonight, we meet one local retailer who recently prevented a potential victim from being duped out of thousands of dollars. I'll buy these, I'll buy these later on tonight. Mike's convenience store has become a fixture in North Delta. The owners, Ravi Patel and his wife, Sarita, well known for their exceptional customer service. In this community, we have got so much love. People are writing about us on Facebook. And now it's Delta police who are commending the couple for their role in stopping customers from falling for a Bitcoin scam, potentially defrauding victims out of thousands of dollars. We feel that it is our duty to uh, help the people here. Back in November, Delta police say an officer stopped by the store to inform Ravi and his wife the cryptocurrency scam was making the rounds in the community, targeting seniors and new Canadians who may be unfamiliar with Canadian laws. And we're particularly trying to reach out to uh, newcomers to the country, seniors, those people who might be more vulnerable to this kind of fraud. Ravi agreed to post warning signs around the Bitcoin ATM located inside his store in English and Hindi, alerting customers about the scam. So far, it's paid off. Ravi recently stopped a young man from depositing $5,500 into the Bitcoin ATM. I told him, uh, excuse me, excuse me, but it was difficult. He did not turn back. So I literally went there and told him, just put it on hold, put it on hold. Then he, I don't know, it was my luck, he put it on hold and then he heard me. The young man incredibly grateful to Ravi for stepping in. But this isn't the first time he and his wife have intervened. 
at least seven, eight times we have stopped. And one girl was here, she had $7,000 and she deposited $1,300 in that. And my wife and me both rushed to her, almost tried to grab her hands, and then we stopped her. She was crying for almost three hours. Police say cybercrime is on the rise and Bitcoin is a currency of choice for fraudsters because it's virtually impossible to track down. The Bitcoin uh, deposits, they're not traceable. So uh, once that money is gone, it is gone. Delta police now hoping Mike's convenience store serves as an example to prevent customers from potentially losing their hard-earned savings. It's all about saving people from these fraud people. And just a reminder, the government does not demand any payment in Bitcoin. If any Canadian government agency demands you pay your bills or your taxes in Bitcoin, it's a sure sign of a scam. If you do receive this type of call, hang up the phone and call police. Also, check out GetCyberSafe.ca for more ways to protect yourself. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at ConsumerMatters at GlobalNews.ca. All right. Thanks, Ann, and good job, Ravi. Great stuff. All right, an Abbotsford couple is making one last desperate legal push after trying for years to see their two grandchildren again. Next week, a lawyer for Al and Kathy Kasatkin will appear before Peru's Superior Court asking for custody of the 10- and 7-year-olds, or at least visitation rights. The children's father remains a fugitive, charged with killing their mother, while the kids are living in Peru with his mother. Ramina Dea reports. One last fight to see their grandchildren. The decision now in the hands of the Superior Court in Lima, Peru. This being our our final shot, I really, really wish that this group of judges does a serious job in looking after the welfare of these children. Look at it objectively. Al and Kathy Kasatkin say they've been banned from visiting their grandkids, 10 and 7, who are currently living with their paternal grandmother. We're doing this because we love them and that their mother loved them more than life. Kim died for her children. She died because she stayed there for her children. Lima, November 26th, 2016. It is the last time Kimberly Kasatkin is seen alive. Her partner, Christopher Franz Betaki, has been charged with femicide, the killing of a woman under Peruvian law. Kasatkin's body has never been found. But chilling surveillance video from the couple's building reveals Franz moving a heavy bag he can barely lift. According to court evidence, Kasatkin's body is suspected to be inside. Franz denies it, claiming it's camping gear. Franz is now a fugitive, a criminal trial impossible until he's found. 17 trips to Peru. The Kasatkins have spent their retirement savings fighting for justice. They wanted to be in Lima for this final custody battle, but then COVID hit. You know, my heart doesn't give up, but you, you, it's like banging your head into a brick wall. The custody case set for December 9th. The Kasatkins hoping they're at least granted visitation. If they don't win, that's it. I'm exhausted from it. We've had so many trips and so many frustrations. It's time to just say we did what we can, and I accept that it's, I've given up. I feel bad about it, but at the same time, I'm, uh, this can't go on. Romina Dea, Global News.
Up next, solving the problem of potentially deadly peanut allergies. It really did work. A treatment so effective it might make EpiPens obsolete. And how the pandemic is hitting children with disabilities harder than most. Cancer is relentless, but for every patient, every chemo appointment, every radiation treatment, BC Cancer is there to change the outcome. With your help, BC Cancer won't stop until it's done. Donate today at bccancerfoundation.com. Traffic is now steady in both directions over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge after clearing an earlier stall northbound at the south end. For 47 years, Kermat Collision and Auto Glass has provided unmatched superior customer service and satisfaction. With 28, 18 lower mainland locations, there's a Kermac in your neighborhood. Visit Kermac.com. I'm Trisha Wilson in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. A federal offender escaped custody this afternoon in Abbotsford, prompting a major police response. The prisoner was being escorted to a medical appointment when he escaped from the corrections officers near the Walmart on Marshall Road and Abbotsford Way. Police say during the apprehension, a correctional officer discharged their firearm. No one was hurt. The suspect was eventually taken into custody, and there is no further risk to the public. The major crimes detectives are now investigating exactly what happened. A scathing report by BC's Child and Youth Watchdog is revealing families of children with special needs are falling through the cracks. The pandemic is amplifying the situation. And as Kylie Stanton reports, advocates are calling on the province for swift and urgent action. We can have an adventure. Living through this pandemic has been hard on everyone. But for the thousands of BC families who have children with special needs, well, they're hanging on by a thread. These families are feeling desperate. The responsibility of 24-7 care for children that have profound needs is just heartbreaking. The representative for children and youth released a report titled Left Out on Thursday, the International Day of Persons with Disabilities. The survey results of 545 families, along with several detailed personal stories, shed a harsh spotlight on the challenges being faced. The pandemic has revealed the inadequacies of a system that we've known about for, for a long, long time. Recommendations have been put forward and some could be implemented immediately, including extending all pandemic-related benefits and processes for families, declaring parents essential workers for the purpose of allowing them access to critically important services, and exploring whether bubbles can be created for much-needed in-home nursing and respite care. The Minister of Children and Family Development has already started the process of setting up an advisory council. Because that way we can hear directly from families and from community agencies exactly what is happening and where the immediate gaps are, while we um, also accelerate the work on, re on building the system and building the framework. But will it be enough to overcome systemic flaws that date back decades, now only compounded by COVID, nine months in? Those living with disabilities say they need to catch a break. Frustrating, the, that word doesn't even begin to encompass what we feel about running into the same barrier over and over and over again. The hope is the report will help start turning things around. A lot has been learned. Now it's a matter of acting on it. If we know better, we have to do better. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. A new UBC study is offering the first real hope for parents of children with peanut allergies. Researchers say an oral treatment can dramatically reduce the risk of potentially deadly reactions. 
Linda Aylesworth explains why this could be a real game changer. Experiencing the older children is like that one in five children, Saya so developed a peanut allergy early in life. At 10 months of age, there was no mistaking it. She used to generally have quite a bit of hives. She had some swelling to her face, eyes, lips, and tingling sensations um, to her tongue. When Saya was old enough to attend kindergarten, her parents' concern ramped up. What are other kids bringing in? Are there going to be peanut products in there? Is she going to feel left out when people are bringing in birthday, you know, cupcakes or whatever that may contain nuts? So two years ago, Saya began oral immunotherapy, which involves eating tiny amounts of peanut protein. In her case, a peanut snack called Bamba. And she started off with one eighth of a portion of it. And every two weeks we would go and we would increase the dose. So double the dose. Oral immunotherapy has been studied for years, always in controlled environments. But a UBC study sought to learn if it worked as well in the real world. So we followed 117 preschoolers with an average age of about 25 months receiving peanut oral immunotherapy. Then, after a year, in the presence of a physician, the children's allergies were challenged. We were quite impressed that nearly 80% of the preschoolers were able to eat a full serving of roughly 15 peanuts without any reaction. And the other 20% had only minor reactions. What we have here is also her tree nut OIT. Even so, oral immunotherapy isn't being hailed a cure because there is a risk the allergy could return if peanuts aren't regularly consumed. I like to taste the peanuts now. And um, I like the way the color is. She gets to be a part of so many things that she wasn't able to before. So it's huge. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. She's pretty cute. Yeah. All right, still to come, happy birthday to a Vancouver landmark. I think it's just the history that's uh, so rich. The rock royalty that's hit the stage at the Commodore and how its 90th birthday is being celebrated. And in sports, Connor Bedard works on getting even better. The teenage hockey phenom who could be the next one. <laughs> Two days after being buried under concrete, a heartwarming rescue. We'll show you right after Christie's forecast. I was happy to get out of there. Oh, now the Christmas lights are twinkling behind Christy as we get a look at the forecast and what to expect in the next little while. Thanks so much. Yes, so we've got lots to look forward to. But first, I need to show you some incredible photos. I was flooded by emails today from the sunrise. But first, look at this. Kelvin Helmholtz waves. These are rarely seen and they were spotted yesterday near Delta and Tawasan. And what it is, is it two different layers of the air mass, one layered on top of the other, the top one lighter, less dense and moving faster, just like you would get in a situation where you get air over uh, water. So just out in the ocean, you get all of a sudden the wind blowing and that's what creates the waves. And this is the same type of scenario. So super cool to see. All right, so here's a look at all of your stunning sunrise shots. Thank 
you to everyone who shared them too with us. We're going to rhyme through them because we had so many and I really love to share your photos because it happened all around the province, this beautiful sunrise. And you know what they say, sun, uh, red skies in the morning, sailors take warning. We certainly did see a little bit of cloud cover today, but it wasn't bad. And as I mentioned, we're back to sunshine tomorrow. That system's going to be driven to the north. So the north coast region, yes, you are going to continue with rainfall. Inland sections like Prince George, just a chance of showers. Uh, areas across the south, again, some valley cloud, but you should be back to sunshine by the afternoon. Not warming up much, though. And for our region, some fog or cloud in the morning, but otherwise mainly sunny, not only tomorrow, but Saturday also before a change pushes in Saturday night, bringing in just a chance of showers on Sunday. So it shouldn't be a washout, but that's still a couple of days away. And I'll leave you with your central windows weather window, which is one last sunrise shot with the fog in the foreground, which uh, really captures this morning's uh, this morning, basically. Yeah. Amazing colors. All right. Thanks, Christy. I will never forget Kelvin Helmholtz wave <laughs> either. That's really fascinating. Okay, go. All right. A cat in Turkey lost at least one of its nine lives, but is happy to be above ground once again. The cat was buried in a pipe conduit under concrete for a couple of days. Firefighters in western Turkey were called out when neighbors located the animal using thermal cameras. Once freed, it quickly scarfed down some food and then ran away. It's unclear how the animal got down there in the first place. Surprised the poor little thing didn't run off right away. <laughs> I know. Freaked out and... Got any snacks? Yeah. Got, I mean, he's hungry, so yeah, I guess. For sure. So cute. All right, Squire's here now with a look at what's coming up in sports. Look how festive it is behind me again. Beautiful. I know. I'm in the Christmas section over here. Uh, Islanders star Matt Barzell. We talked about him last week. We talked to him last week. Well, one of the things he's doing in town is working out with future star Connor Bedard. Every shot he wants to score and um, does every drill at high pace. At 15, Bedard will be the youngest player in Western Hockey League history when, of course, the league comes back to life. And from rock and roll to political rallies, a look back at the entertaining history of the Commodore Ballroom. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I, I've been told quick throw, so okay. it's you. Okay. <laughs> oh, tell the audience what I'm laughing about. Uh, earlier this year, North Vancouver's Connor Bedard was given exceptional status by the Western Hockey League to join the league as a 15-year-old. That's the first time they have ever allowed a player that young to play. He was subsequently taken first overall by Regina in the draft. But of course, because of the pandemic, he's not played a game for Regina yet. But he wanted to play somewhere, so he headed, headed over to Sweden for a couple of months. Connor Bedard is back home now, preparing for what he hopes will be his first Western Hockey League season. It's been an adventure, literally waiting for the league to start. Since 15-year-old Connor wasn't eligible to train and play exhibition games with BCHL teams like other Western leaguers, he and his agent decided to take his act overseas, to Sweden, to a small town called Lingshopping. Which is pretty similar in a lot of ways, like, you know, landscape and stuff. The people are pretty similar, and obviously that it's a really small town, so hockey is like the biggest thing there. 
Connor didn't make the trip to Sweden alone. His older sister, Maddie, came along as well. They did stay on their own in a dorm-style apartment near the hockey rink where meals were provided so that Connor could concentrate on making the most of his Swedish hockey experience. You're learning kind of some different skills that they do, and you can kind of add that. And Obviously, they play a bit of a different game. It's bigger ice, a lot of possession stuff, and, you know, I think that can kind of help me add 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 to the toolbox kind of. Connor did get into some games where he quickly showed what he can do against some of Sweden's top juniors, perhaps players he will play with and against down the road. But to get this kind of life and hockey experience at this age is priceless. You know, a lot of it was hockey. You know, you go to the rink and you come back, but just meeting those people and seeing kind of some stuff that they do. And, you know, I think it's, it's pretty cool. COVID shut the Swedish league down too, so Connor's trip lasted two months. He's back home now and training with more elite players. This time, New York Islanders star Matthew Barzell, who's become a real important mentor for young Connor. We've been kind of down the same path, you know, with the dub draft and going into the into the league. So he just kind of gives me some advice about that and you know what what the league's going to be like and tries to help me with that stuff. I see my, a little bit of myself in him, just his drive and. Uh, his willing, willingness to just learn and um, compete, and such a such a good little player, and um, it's fun to have him out here. We, you know, we kind of we're pretty comfortable now with each other. He's starting to chirp back a little bit, which is good. So it's it's nice to have him out here. Bedard is hopeful he can finally get his Western League career started with the Regina Pats, who drafted him first overall last spring. The league is tentatively set to begin in early January. Very delay Global Sports. Alfonso Davies has been named Canada's Male Soccer Player of the Year to the surprise of a grand total of no one. Uh, he helped Bayern Munich do many things, include win the um, Bundesliga's title, Bundesliga title, make that, the uh, Champions League title. He was named the Bundesliga Rookie of the Year and uh, after severely injuring his ankle six weeks ago, he has recently returned to training, hopes to be ready for game action in a couple of weeks. The women's winner will be named on Friday. Uh, wide receiver Josh Gordon's one-year suspension for substance abuse violation, and he's had a few of those in his career, is conditionally over, which means he could play the final two Seattle Seahawks games this season. Of course, he can't join Seattle again until he passes a COVID test. Uh, he would be eligible to play his first game on December 27th against the Rams. Josh Gordon has immense talent, but he has been suspended six times by the NFL in his career. He has had his struggles off the field. Okay, PGA is in Playa del Carmen, Mexico for the uh, Mayakoba Classic. Hunter Mahan, this is on uh, a par four. Hey, get out of the way, Bird. This could be an eagle. There you go. It's an eagle! That's why he flew away. It was an eagle. <laughs> and then Brendan Steele on the par five. This is from about 240 yards away. So you saw an eagle. How about a double eagle? There you go. Russell Knox of Scotland leads at six under par. Adam Hadwin of Abbotsford plus one. Merritt's Roger Sloan is plus four. There you go. Thank you very much, Squire. Up next, it's 90 years old and still fabulous. The Commodore Ballroom's big birthday despite the pandemic.
Wouldn't it be awesome if right now we were all down at the Commodore Ballroom <laughs> rocking out with Colin James? Well, in fact, <laughs> there is a concert on at the Commodore right now, Squire. There is. Uh, Colin James is uh, doing a live stream event. He's actually doing two today at the Commodore. He did one earlier in the afternoon. Um, before he did that, though, he did speak to us because this is a man who I think has played the Commodore 33 times. I think that's the number, 33 times. 5440 might be the band who's played it the most. I'm not sure, but they have played it a little more than Colin James. Whatever the case, it's 90 years old, the Commodore, and a lot of us have at least spent one night there. If only we could all age like the Commodore Ballroom. On its 90th birthday, it looks very much like the day it was born. The Commodore looks the same now outside as it did in 1930. It's quite incredible, you know, like, especially the downtown's changed so much. But now inside, things have changed a little bit, of course. But, uh, yeah, the, the building is the original thing. It's also the original name. In fact, something named Commodore has been at this spot on Granville for more than 90 years. Before the Commodore Ballroom was there, there was a small little cafe called the Commodore Cafe. It shows the name the Commodore from that, the Commodore Cafe, because it was a little popular place on Granville Street. Live music has always been the reason for its existence, and every genre has played on its stage. And for those who stand on the stage, there's very few places like it. It's always been a room, I think, that likes to rock. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, you, you know, you wouldn't, it's, it always kind of asks you to, to, to do that. I think possibly because a lot of people are standing up when they're in this room. And Colin James would know because he's done over 30 Commodore Ballroom shows in his career. The latest being a live stream without a crowd to celebrate 90 years. But his best memories of this place always include an audience. And I remember nights here that were so intense that there'd be no oxygen in the room, you know, like it would be so intense, you know, if, as a, you know, as a front man, you know, you're out there and you're moving and you're trying to, and I remember times where I almost just fainted. And a lot of other famous artists would have felt that way as well, because the list of people who have played this room is a who's who. Oh my gosh, it's, it's harder to find the bands that haven't played the Commodore, you know, than, than have. 1973, Captain Beefheart. 74, New York Dolls. 75, Kiss plays in January 75. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, 78. The Clash in 79. U2 in 81. The Commodore has entertained generations of Vancouverites. It's a building that has brought people together in this town for 90 years. And one day, it will again. Commodore's faced the hurdles before and made it through. So I think uh, there's lots more history to be written about the Commodore Ballroom. Okay. Uh, our after-grad party was at the Commodore Ballroom. Let's see it. For some weird reason. There I am. Oh, wow. Complete oh. with zit on the nose, which is always a good look when you're going out for you an evening, isn't it? You look too young to have graduated from <laughs> And I think that was only 10 years ago. Today. That leather jacket makes up for the thing. Don't worry about it. Thanks very much for, for that, Squire. Good, uh, good story. And thanks for watching, everybody. Have a good night.